As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> oh my goodness i can't believe you just said that uh you're fired do you really have to go take a poop <laughs> that, is not, that is not what i meant <laughs> that's not what you meant <laughs> that is not what i meant i thought you said you had to take a crab like no. the deep darkie so i've got to go take care of that that's that totally sounds like you gotta movie. take a poop no i know but i thought he was turning it into like i have to go to the bathroom <laughs> well amazing. it is now that's amazing <laughs> I, and not like not like we needed another you know reference for that but uh, now i've got one so that's good oh my gosh that is I'm, that's going in my <laughs> sorry repertoire i gotta go take care of the deep darkies <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's deep and dark okay here we go <laughs> no that's amazing that's amazing. I think that's a great way to start the spoilers podcast. I think yes, we're already, right? we are we're already, already in the spoilers it. podcast, so let's just get into it. Uh, now we get to talk about the stuff that happened in these movies. So the Everest, or Everest, I should say, and The Visit mm-hmm. are the two movies we're going to be spoiling just real briefly here. So uh, again, if you find yourself in the spoilers and you don't want to be spoiled, back out, go listen to the show proper, and you can hear kind of our general review on those two movies. Yeah. So let's talk a little more details. Now, Danae, do you want to kind of give us a rundown of Everest? We'll start there since we started there in the regular one. And I don't know that we need to know too much about this. We kind of get that people are going up the mountain and stuff happens. I would say that this movie kind of follows this guy named Rob. Rob is the leader for Adventure Consulting. And this is a company that formed kind of in the middle, uh, mid-90s, to try to help people climb Everest and get down safely. And uh, it follows the people who are joining him on this adventure. Now, before we go any further, we're in a unique situation that I don't know we've been in before, which is Josh is with us who hasn't seen the movie. And so, Josh, we need instruction from you, like... How far do you want to go? I mean, we're going to spoil stuff. Do you need to, like, put earmuffs on, or (laughs) do you you mind, or what's your your take on this? You going to hang? I I 100% don't mind. As I mentioned in the the other podcast, I'm not... I'm probably not going to run out and watch this, because it's got none of the initial sort of things that draw me to a movie. Right, right. Okay. Uh, maybe I will one day. Right. But I, I all that say I don't think you can spoil like I, I I think any spoiler would actually tone down what I think happens in this movie. Does anybody chop their arm off or something? No. Okay, so then already it's already better <laughs> than 127 hours. Than than what I anticipate, yeah. Uh man, that scene in 127 hours. That is maybe the most intense survival scene in any movie ever. Like just Can I tell you? That is, I haven't seen that movie. I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm gonna be Danae for a second. I haven't seen that because I had no like that. This is not my 
this is not my genre. And I even got it a couple of times and then I never watched it. Just I, couldn't I do know it. it's a great movie, but I was like, I just can't wa- I don't want to watch some guy who's a real person. Suffer. You know, Cut his arm that. off to live. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I get like I, even hearing, like saying it is like, I get it. I get the magnitude. I don't need to see it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I think that's why I haven't seen the passion of the Christ. And that's a great point. No, that's, I, that's oh, yeah. valid. I just, I, I know that it takes it to a different level. It brings it into reality in a different way when you visually are seeing something that is brutal like that. Yeah. yeah. And there are elements of that in this movie for sure. So if you don't mind not, you know, getting some spoiled, getting spoiled yeah, on this we'll a little bit, on. we'll just keep going. Yeah, go so, ahead. So Rob has a group of people that both work for him and they're at Everest base camp and also the people that he's leading. And when we land at base camp as a group, we've already kind of been introduced to the characters that we're going to be following through this film, these real people. Um, And we have been told information like, you know, how high the, the summit is and humans aren't meant to survive up there. And, you know, he takes it very seriously. Rob is only his main thing is to make sure everyone gets back safely. His quote is once you get to a certain elevation, your body is literally dying. Yeah. The rest of the way up. Absolutely. Who, and who played this? Who was this part? Rob? Jason Clark. Mm-hmm. This was Jason Clark. Yeah. And Jason Clark was, uh, as I found out later, he played in Terminator Genesis. He mm-hmm. played. Um, what's the guy's name? The main guy. Uh, John Connor. John Connor. Yep. He plays the adult version of John Connor. He was also in the Planet of the Apes movie, the recent Planet of the Apes yeah. movie. Yep. So he's really good. He's really he's really won me over. Yeah, he, he's a great actor. He was really great in this uh, because his character he's playing, uh, or the person that he's playing, is a kind guy. We also get to meet someone named Doug, who we learn through that character development that um, he's Rob is willing to give discounts for people that are just trying to get back to the top. And Doug is somebody who has been trying to get to the top of Everest. He was there, you know, last time that they made a big push and Rob ended up having him turn around and go back down. He's like, you just, it's not, it's not safe. And so Doug didn't make it to the top. So Doug is back not only to make it to the top for himself, but to make it to the top for a class of kids that gave him a flag to kind of plant at the top. And each person's kind of there. There's a reporter that's there who wants to make it to the top. Played by uh, one of my favorite guys in... Um, oh, what's the Netflix series with uh, uh, the political one? Uh, House of Cards. House of Cards. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what that guy's Martin name is. Henderson, Tom Goodman. Uh, anyways, he he was really good in this too, but he plays a reporter. Thomas Wright. I don't I don't remember. Um, so anyway, the guy that, that was said, "This is where I leave you." That was in that one. This is where I leave you. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So there's a reporter. And there's also um, a, someone, the, the Texan, who uh, Josh Brolin plays him, is trying to. He loves Corey, to climb Corey mountains. Stahl? No, not Corey Stahl. Although I guess he okay. was in House House of Cards as well. Yeah, so that's what I thought you were talking about. The main group that we kind of follow is that there's also a woman there who's climbed six summits and she's trying to get to the seventh Japanese summit. Woman, she's like 47. And, yeah, yeah, and so she's really wanting to make her final push. And their goal is to go on May 10th. And they're actually there, which I didn't realize how much time they spend preparing, but they're there a month and a half in advance. So they go to Nepal. They start to go up into these high elevated communities and they begin to acclimate their bodies. And they make three ascents to go up into the atmosphere to get used to the strain on the body that it takes so that when they make their final push on May 10th, 
They'll have everything that they need to kind of actually make it to the top. And really what's kind of happening around at the base camp, as far as just like besides just the danger of being on a mountain, is that a lot of other people are on this mountain too. And they're all kind of end up stepping over each other and some mistakes are made because there's so many people trying to make this push the summit on the same day. More people are trying to kind of capitalize on this grand adventure of getting up to the top of Mount Everest. The only group we really spend any other time with, major time with, is what we see as uh, Rob's major competitor, like the first one to join him up there, which is Jake Gyllenhaal's group. Uh, And so they decide actually to team up in order to be able to make it to the top together with all these other groups, kind of, which all the other groups fall away. Like by the end, it's just them those two that have made it to you know the final stage the other groups give you a real solid feel though that rob really cares about what he's doing and the other groups according to how the movie is kind of told and the assumptions that you're led to make they care but not at the same level that maybe rob does he takes it very seriously um so you know jake gyllenhaal's character which i can't remember his his name seems like it was scott scott yeah so Scott, he is, um, for example, like if if somebody gets towards the top of the summit and they want to make a push, he'll be like, yeah, just go for it. No problem. Whereas Rob would say, no, you need to go back down. Um, in fact, in Scott's camp, there's a guy who I think is from Germany. I'm not sure who doesn't even use oxygen the entire film. I think he's the Russian. I think Russian. his name was like Anatoly or yes. something like that. Yeah. And so he's like, if your body can't survive without oxygen, then you're not. If you if you train your body to need oxygen up there and something goes wrong, you're you're dead. Right. I'm going to train my body to not need as much oxygen to do it. And he actually does end up climbing Mount Everest and helping other people survive when the big storm hits without any oxygen. And that was one of those human feats that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier. That was just I could not believe that yep. this guy was able to do that. But he did. Kind of crazy. Yeah. I got the impression he was one of Scott's team. Yeah. One of Scott's team. That's right. He wasn't trying to push. Right. He's somebody who's used to going up there and doing that kind of a thing. So all these people going up and then the storm, you know, sneaks up on them on that last step, but they get this window and they've got this window to get up to the top of Everest and get back. Make the push. And so they make the push up and then turnaround time, they call it, is two o'clock. So at two o'clock, everybody's got to start coming back whether they made it or not. Yep. That's the... Too dangerous after that. Then, because they teamed up and their Sherpas were kind of... The idea you get is that they're competitive, and so... The Sherpas themselves that are on each team are also very competitive with each other. And so that something didn't get done because one of the Sherpas told the other one to do it or something, but it didn't happen. The ropes were not fixed high up on the mountain. There's this one particular part where there's a ledge, and you have to have these ropes attached in, and the ropes were frayed when they get up there. So they get to this part, and it slows them down immensely. By the time they get to the last part of the summit, they're already almost at turnaround time. So they decide to go ahead and make the push anyway because it's still beautiful. They get to the summit. And a lot of their group gets the summit, and they are having a celebration. We're celebrating with them. The Japanese woman's like seven out of seven. She you got know. there. The The writer gets there. Uh, the Texan had trouble uh, real early on, and he actually was kind of left at this one spot. He started losing further his down vision. Yeah. Because his vision started to go. And so he just kind of sat there, and you... The crazy thing about that is every time someone's passing him to go up or passing him on the descent back down, he is further and further encased in snow. 
Yeah. There's just such this horrible feeling about this poor Texan guy. Like he's just literally sitting there on a freezing cold mountain. You know, mm-hmm. it's just not good. Um, the big issue, though, is that Doug, who has been struggling for a while now, um, he is so close to the summit. He's not he's not so close. He's, he's within sight of it. He can see it. And so Rob's coming down. Doug's like, Rob's like so, it's too I late. can see it. And, and Rob's like, no, we got to turn back. We can't do it's this. It's already too it's late. It's already too late. And, and, and he dang just, it, Doug. Dang it, Doug. <laughs> I was really upset with Doug because the feel that you get if this real this this is what happened is Rob can't leave Doug. Doug's like, I'm not going back down. I'm going to go to the top. And rather than descend like Rob knows he needs to do. He goes with Doug. He gets Doug up there. They turn around. Wait, they so go Doug, back up. Wait, Doug is the, Doug's not the Texan. Doug's no. not the Texan. He's he's the uh, kind of like an elderly guy who's he's a mailman. Going, he he yeah, he's a mailman. He's John, that's John Hawks, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. and so he he really 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 wants to get to the top. I mean, and he is anyway. When they get to the top, it is four p.m. So two hours behind when they get to the summit, and as much as. Doug wants to stay up there and celebrate and rest for a minute. Uh, Rob is like, we got to go. And other people have already started to see a huge storm roll in. And here it comes. And not only that, but then there's an issue with this. For some reason, there the oxygen tanks they thought that were full. That was another thing that went wrong. They were only half full. Uh, one of them is frozen over. It can't be used. So now they're running out of oxygen for Doug, who desperately needs oxygen. He's not strong enough to do this without it. We kind of have two situations. You've got Rob and Doug at the very top as they're, they're trying to come down quickly. And, and Doug is struggling so hard. He's basically passed out. He has no more oxygen left and he's dying um, because he doesn't have any oxygen. So Rob is trying to radio down, hey, can someone bring up some oxygen? And then you, so you got some people that are on the halfway point of descending down to the next kind of level down. You've got the people who already had hit the summit. They're kind of at that next base level down. Because there's like four camps. Yeah. As you're kind of going up. Mm -hmm. So there's also four, you know, kind of going back down. So they're all still up on the mountain when the storm hits. And it's just a various degrees of danger. Um, Some of them make it back to this one particular spot and the storm hits. And they're able to keep walking and make it to camp. And at this point in the film... What you realize is that it's impossible to see where you're going. Some yeah. people are like literally about to walk off a cliff because they just can't see anything. And you've got people at this tent who are banging together pots and pans and flashing their flashlights, trying to guide in those who are choosing to walk through this blizzard that's just rolled in. So some people do make it back to one of these camps. They are able to crawl into the tents. Reporter. The reporter makes it back. A couple of guys that have been with Rob for a while, they make it back. And then there's the Texan, uh, along with the Japanese, the Japanese lady, lady mm-hmm. and a couple of others who are so tired from their summit climb that they just kind of sit there. Um, and they, a couple of them, end up just that's just, where they they just freeze there. That's where they freeze as this the storm comes in, and people are trying to walk back to where they saw them. And they end up taking one or two people and getting them back over to the tents, but the storm is so intense. And well, they they there were four of them there, mm-hmm. and uh, Anatoly went back to yeah. to rescue who he could, and he did a check, and uh, the Texan and the Japanese woman he left for dead, yeah. and the other two he saw he were would, still moving, so and he so grabbed them. He, he grabbed them and and got them back to the tents. so they all get back to the tents. Though that group is able to kind of weather the storm for that that first night um, and get in the tents and it's a very hard night for everybody. And then of course, Rob and Doug 
are up high on the mountain um, by themselves. And uh, Doug is is told to stay where he is until Rob can get him oxygen, but he doesn't listen. He gets up. He tries to lock his carabiner, you know, how you move him across the gap, and he just walks off the mountain. And that's how Doug ends up dying up on the mountain. So then Rob's all alone up there, uh, and then one of his guys does manage to bring him a tank uh, for more oxygen. For Doug. For Yeah, it was for Finds Doug. Finds out that Doug has passed away. And, and and he gets caught up in the second storm. Yeah, and they're both stuck up there. Because another storm rolls in. <laughs> so you've got these people Jeez, who when please. Yeah, and when when the sec there's like a break in the storm before the second one comes. And what the intensity of this really became is that you've got these guys, they're all on their radio, so they can talk to each other. So um overnight when the storm uh when they're riding out the storm, because you know, Doug Doug passes away and then the guy brings him oxygen and they're just basically huddled up on the side of this like crack of a mountain overnight uh rob and his other his other friend and overnight at some point his other friend gets hypothermia and one of the things that happens with hypothermia is you get really really hot and you begin to take off your clothes and you start to kind of yeah you just get confused delusional yeah and so that's what happened to him is he just took off all of his clothes at some point in the night and just like literally just stood up and walked off the side of the mountain as well. So Rob um, is contacted by radio over and over and over again and finally kind of comes through and he's not doing good. And they're able to but patch. But he made it through the night. He made it through the night, mm-hmm. crazily enough. So you're thinking, he's going to make it. You know, Rob, he's our lead guy. Mm-hmm. He's going to make it. And, and he's having conversations over, on the radio yep. over the phone with his pregnant wife back home. Yeah, they patched in his wife via satellite phone. And they use the radio so that they could have a conversation. And she says, you got to get up and you got to get moving. They're bringing some more oxygen to you because he was frozen. He's like, I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my feet. And she's like, you just got to get up and move. So you see him start to to start to try to climb down this mountain. And that's when they have to break in and say, there's another storm and they can't get to you until tomorrow. And so they patch him through one more time. And he basically says, I'm not going to make it. I love you. Name our daughter, Sarah. I want her to be named Sarah. And so in the theater, you're, I'm just like crying. It was so emotional. And everyone is able to hear that conversation because it's all over radio. So all of their friends are listening in. It was just a really powerful moment to know that this is, they gave him an opportunity to say goodbye to each other. And yeah. that's where Rob died. That's where he is today. Then it cuts back to um, the other people who have passed away, who have frozen to death overnight, except for the Texan who we thought was dead. Um, he has black fingertips, a black nose. It's bad. All of a sudden he just starts breathing and it's so intense. That moment is so intense. This is the moment I was talking about. Like, no way. way. Like he was in that storm overnight, overnight with the elements and left for dead Pops up like an icicle zombie. And not only does he wake up and, re- and is alive, he f- somehow finds the strength to walk on dead hands and feet to walk, to walk back to the camp, to walk himself back to the camp. Now, once he gets to the camp where everybody was, they see him walking in, they radio down. And so base camp is able to call his wife and say, we're sorry, we told you he was dead, but he's actually alive. And it activates this, this wife. And she begins to call the government. She's like, you cannot let him die. This will be on CNN. We've already, there's already reports out there that he's died. 
And so she kind of pushes the government to get involved. And this becomes the first helicopter. Uh, spoiler alert. There's a helicopter. <laughs> a legitimate spoiler <laughs> alert with a helicopter. Um, <laughs> the first <laughs> helicopter rescue. And helicopters can't get up that high, but they just dumped as much weight as possible. One guy was able to make it up in the helicopter with nothing else in there. No supplies, no nothing but him and, and just a and the bird. bear, bear, bird fly up land and they're able to get the Texan um, off the mountain. Uh, my, one Who's of, the, who plays the Texan, by the Josh way? Josh Brolin. Oh, that's Josh Brolin. Of course. Yeah. Sorry. Of course. Yeah. I one of my one of the most interesting parts about that whole helicopter thing for me was the idea that in order for them to take off to go down the mountain, they basically have to they ski to down ski the mountain down. until they're, the air is thick yeah. enough to get lift. It was crazy. Yeah. And, you know, when they're first approaching the mountain, you're you're actually flying through this this you're walking on these crazy little bridges and you're walking in these villages and you're seeing it's beautiful and the helicopter ride out, he's seeing all those same beautiful scenes and he's remembering how he got up there in the first place. There's a huge section of his cheek that's entirely black, you know. Yeah. He ends up losing his hands and his feet and his nose. Yeah. So his sur- his survival is that he's alive and he's still married and he's still, you know, he's still on the planet. But it was a very traumatic experience for him. Um they still had to come down the rest of the mountain. The group that was caught in the storm, who are they're all, you know, equally in trouble in a, in their own ways. Yeah. They still had to come down the mountain, and actually, the Texan did too. That he couldn't be rescued at where they were then. They had to come down even further for the helicopter to come up. So it was a very intense movie. Um, obviously, very heartbreaking. Um, and those people who they showed the people who are pa- who passed away, and they showed the people who kind of survived and. That was the story that was that was shown to us, and it was really beautifully done. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an incredible story of just humans, you know, doing human things, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, yeah, it was, and it was so well done. Just because, I mean, the realism of how they shot it, and yeah. it just you really felt like you were on the mountain. So that was the that's the more heartfelt. That's the details of what happened as far as those characters and those actual. I should keep saying characters, but those people. Who, yeah, right who passed away and the people who worked hard and they're very passionate people. So it's a tragic story, um, but it's a beautiful movie. Did you have any questions, Josh, since you haven't seen it now that we've kind of gone into spoilers, anything triggering your head? Um, I actually, no, I, I think the biggest questions I would have had were like, you know, body count. Yeah. Questions. <laughs> you kind of sum that up. It's insane that they just, I mean, they have to leave the bodies there. The bodies of those yeah. who have died on Everest are still there. Yeah. They they use them as markers. Yeah. Like to know where you are, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's brutal. It, it's one of the craziest things like that I've ever seen. And just knowing it's true, it was very, very different. On the flip side, <laughs> not true. And a little are bit. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, that's kind of the creepy part. I guess we're switching into the visit now. Um, Yeah, let's just say that. Could this movie really come to life? This movie could have been real. That's the thing. One of the things about it is. Maybe that's what he was going for is that element of creep. Because that is. Let me start here because I mentioned this in the podcast proper. The reason I think the spoiler, uh, not spoiler, the twist caught me off guard is because for whatever reason, I had in my brain that the twist was, if there was a twist, that it would be supernatural. But there is nothing supernatural about this movie. It exists in a very real world. And so I think that's why I was just distracted. Straight crazy people. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, not, you know, 
there's at one point one of the crazy people tells a story about aliens whose antennas are invisible and you know and that kind of thing and i'm thinking oh, okay is it going to be something like that you know so i'm not even thinking we're existing in a, like an actual real world and these are right. just crazy people you know so no, my 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 first instincts were possessed which i was not happy with right or um uh you know in body snatcher alien sort of scenario yeah that's where my brain was which I would have been fine with, and this—I mean, this one was on the radar, and it grew as we, as every time there was a potential for a supernatural thing, like you know, talking about the aliens. Oh, sorry, uh, um, the, yeah, like under, the, mm-hmm. the, under the under the under the under the deck. Yeah, right. Where oh. they make it look like it's something. Well, I guess we're spoiling it out. They make it look like it's a ghost chasing them. Right. But when you find out it's not a ghost, stuff like that started chipping away at the supernatural. Right thing for me, but then he was smart. This is why I love. This is why I still love him. Night is because when you start thinking, oh, it's not supernatural. It's all whatever. He throws in those stories about like the alien or whatever. So you go, or is it? (laughs) (laughs) You know. Yeah. Uh, So I mean, but so it was on my radar. But I, you know, I was trying not to pick it apart. My main thing was when it was done going. Because people are going to criticize it, I was going. Did I think it was uh, effective? And what what it comes down to is, if it's a good story element, then it's a good story element. Whether it's a surprise or not, if it, right. if it's if it makes sense with the whole story and works in the the overall arc, then it's then it's a, then it's effective. And I thought it, I totally thought it was. So the twist um, that we're talking about, or the story, uh, my help, yeah. the story information that we're talking about, is the fact that these quote unquote grandparents are actually escaped convicts from a mental hospital that have killed their real grandparents and are impersonating them because they want their life. They want their life. They want to have grandkids and, you know, that kind of thing. And because these grandchildren have never met their grandparents before, because there was a um, something happened between uh, their the children's mother um, and mother's parents, these grandparents mm-hmm. at one point in time. So there they were. The relationship was severed a long time ago, and the children have never seen them and met them before. Um, so this was their first time to be introduced to them. So they didn't know what they looked like. Um, and the mother didn't want to join them because of the stuff from the past. So that's kind of how that's able to develop. Yeah. And so eventually, you know, they find that out and they, you know, have to try to escape. But and that's right at the end, too. I mean, it's right towards the end. So I also liked how this movie was uh, segmented into the days. You really got a sense for the, you know, the feeling of the week, you know, and how they're how the crazy kept building and building. Yeah. yeah. Well, how their suspicion kept building, too, in in ebbing and flowing. You know, there was a real sense of. Okay, tonight is the night we're going to put a camera out. You know that. Kind also, of thing. the children are trying to figure out, just like we, the audience, are trying to figure out, is how much of this is just normal old people crazy, you know, just yeah. slipping of the mind and incontinence and things like this. Like, how much of this is normal, just as you uh, as you age, versus again, are they possessed? Is this a alien situation? Like, how weird is this going to get? You know, if we see the head twist around, we know there's something going on. If we see yeah. the eyeballs turn black, we know something else even is going just, on. But it wasn't. Just, it never turned into that. Even just as simple as the idea, don't come out of your room after 930. 
See, like that to me insinuates supernatural. Like something happens <laughs> at nine thirty. You know what I mean? So there's just these little seeds that were planted in my brain that I think helped the the story movement work for me in a surprising way. And let's talk about that too. This this element of the spoiler. What's going on with the grandmother character is that after a certain time every night, she really just begins to lose her mind and. Mm-hmm. The daughter, or the, the little girl character, her name is Becca. She ends up looking up on the in, on the internet to try to find what could be happening with her because the uh, Pop Pop character. So there's Nana and there's Pop Pop. That's the grandma and the grandpa. And Pop Pop kind of explains away that, you know, Nana has these weird things that happen to her. I can't remember what it's called. What did you guys say it was called? Sundowning. Sundowning. So essentially the moon in the evening time literally gives a chemical reaction that begins to break up her mental facilities. She's a werewolf. (laughs) That's what the little boys think. Yes. So Becca and Tyler are the name of the children and they have a really good relationship. They're a good brother and sister. They tease each other. They're very confident. Becca wants to be a filmmaker and that's why these two children have cameras the entire time. That's the found footage gimmick. She's really trying to make a documentary about her mom and try trying to come to a place where she understands what happened between her mom and her grandparents and trying to find a way to heal them so that they can move on together and have a whole family because they have a broken home. Uh, Becca and Tyler's dad left them and it's left these kids kind of scarred. And so this movie also takes time to talk about the things that they struggle with, but never too deep. It never goes too deep. It doesn't sit too long and really too much more than just trying to figure out kind of this mystery of what's happening around them. Uh, I, I guess since we're parked there, I'll go ahead and say the way that each of the kids in the final act had to metaphorically deal with the the way they had been broken by their broken home so to in solve Becca's their case, problem. In Becca's case, she couldn't look in a mirror after her dad left. She and, just never looked at herself in the and mirror. And the way that she got out of the situation was through a broken, through a shard of broken mirror, you know, yeah. stabbing the grandma. That's very, I mean, that's, that's M. Night doing yeah. metaphor, you know. And then for Tyler, his brokenness is that uh, right after he didn't do well in football was when his dad left. So it kind of. He froze. He froze whenever he was playing football and he could never like move past. And then the dad ends up leaving. So he's just always kind of blamed himself for, for that. And so he kills the pop pop pop, pop character by un- by unfreezing and actually tackling him with a football tackle a couple of times. Because he was totally frozen and he's, in fear. And he's, shout- and he's shouting, you know, football, you know, stay low, you know, all the tackle, you know, terms yeah. he learned or whatever. And again, it's that metaphor of they are they are using their brokenness, you know, in many ways to escape, you know, the situation. At this point. Of the film when when the children have to kill these elderly people in order to survive i was really frustrated with the movie at this point um so the children have been checking in with their mother you know and the mom has been like how's it going you know oh they're just getting old and of course the kids like we said earlier they're trying to like kind of explain away these weird things that the grandparents have going on that they found diapers with you know from from pop-ups incontinence or that grandma you know is just a little bit crazy, wacky at night, things like that. It eventually gets to the point where they put out a hidden camera and they realize that, no, I mean, if they would have opened the door on that first night, they open the door, there's naked grandma scratching on a walls. Next night they open the door. She's crawling across the floor and kind of just so running around. First night was vomiting. Person. Oh yeah. First night's yeah. vomiting. Yeah. <laughs> and then and it's th- like Hanukkah night one. <laughs> and then, at, and then at one point in the time, they're like, okay, this is getting really weird. They put out a camera 
And then they go and they watch the footage later on. And then that particular night, had they opened the door, Nana would have been sitting there with a knife ready to kill them. Right. And so that's when they're like, this has gone too far. And they finally are able to show their mother via their computer when they're Skyping the grandparents as they're kind of outside by the chicken coop. And that's when the mother says, that's not your grandparents. The kids are really freaked out. And mom goes into action to try to get to them because they're quite a ways away, getting the police involved and things like that. So, but they're still there with them at night. And it had escalated to the point where the grandparent figures, Nana and Papa, they they were going to take care of the children. They were going to kill the children that night because they didn't want their fantasy to end you know, they they had already murdered other people. They had murdered not only the grandparents, but somebody who came to visit and was like, where are the real people? You know, they, they killed that person too. And so they said no one's getting out of here that night. So the kids know they're in trouble and they're fighting for their lives. And after this, after they kill these parents, these people and the cops show up and they're out with the mom, it cuts over to... Uh, the the next scene at the beginning and the end of this movie, the daughter is documentary style interviewing the mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a hard time believing that these kids would be okay quick enough to be able to go right back into documentary mode. Did it Do say, you know did it I give mean? a time frame? Did it say any, it. any time later or anything like that? I don't remember. I don't, th- I didn't remember seeing that. I didn't, I didn't notice anything. Yeah. I, it just seemed like, but see, here's the thing, he, and then I, this is a major problem I had with the film as well. Now that we're, that we're talking spoilers, uh, it it is it's ridiculous some of the character motivations and the things they decide to do. This happens often with found footage movies. Carrying a camera when you're in peril, not gonna happen. I, yeah, it's just like you you, dr- <laughs> you drop stuff. <laughs> like like Becca was clinging to her camera as she's drug up. No, she's found in the basement by Pop Pop. She's drug up well, two and, flights and of managing stairs. managing to get the right shots. And yeah, and it's just like. Then locked into the room with Nana, where, where Nana is going crazy at night. And then capturing all of that and capturing her murdering Nana with a shard of mirror. Yeah. Like, that is, that yes, is ridiculous. It just it, it just gets a little ridiculous for me. But being able to interview your mother. Uh-huh. Within a pretty short amount of time, because it doesn't look like time has passed. There's no indication that that much time has passed. Like, well, and, and let's go ahead and talk about that's, tra- that's traumatic. But the interview. So, but the thing is, the interview wasn't an interview, right? It was a piece of healing. Yes. So in that sense, it was a storytelling. Like element. it would be, it would be something that takes precedent. I, I would think. I'm just playing devil's advocate, right? Because that, it wasn't like a random interview. It was like I, she wanted to do it. She really, the mom wanted to do it. And and that was you know, so that the mom could finally talk about why she never returned home. I thought that stuff was really powerful, actually. I, I, I do, too. But I couldn't get over the fact that she had just stabbed an old lady on top of her. <laughs> right. Like, I'm still I'm still processing that she just stabbed somebody I have more who was of on top problem. of her. And the kid bashed Papa's head in with a, you know, with a door of the refrigerator. Maybe these kids are just sociopaths. Maybe, maybe it just doesn't affect them. Uh, because honestly, at the end, he's doing a rap about it. I know. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, it really bugged me. I'm like, you are making light of the fact that you murdered an old man. Right. That should have some lasting scar that doesn't let you treat it this lightly. Granted, granted, they were also going to be killing you, like you were defending yourself. Sure. And the grandpa did rub. 
crap in his face. <laughs> that was the other kind of like real graphic in graphic. a way I, I'm not used to. We saw scene. a naked woman. We and saw, saw somebody take off his diaper and smear it in a kid's face. Yep. Not normal. Nope. Not normal. Um, But I really did like there's a moment where she talks about not including anything of her dad in the documentary. Yeah. And then we hear the I'll mom. I'll never forgive at the, him. And then we hear the mom at the end talk about how forgiveness was always there. And if one thing you can remember, you know, don't hang on to bitterness or whatever. You, you know, always, on, yeah. And the very next thing is you the, know, footage, the of footage of her dad. and her dad. And I, I thought that was really genuinely affecting. And uh, yeah. I did too. And there were there's a couple things that worked for me that were like, oh, that's emotional. But again, I, I just couldn't get over like, oh, we're just breezing over that. Like, <laughs> because it's such a real movie, like, you know, this could really happen. We've talked at the very beginning of this. This could really happen. Yeah. If a child stabs somebody who is on top of her mm-hmm. and another child tackles and and beats someone's head in. Mm hmm. I just can't well, imagine them in getting, yeah. getting over it in enough time for there to be no haircut changes, no appearance changes. Like no time was really given. Like I have to believe that time passed in order for them to process yeah. that enough. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it gets ridiculous. Does, does that make sense? No, absolutely. I think there's a lot of this, that's trauma. this movie that is ridiculous. Okay. So and I that's that's the part I don't like. So yeah. I'm with you on that. Anything else you wanted to mention, Josh? Um, no. <laughs> no, I thought I. Yeah, I think. I mean, spoilers. I think you guys covered it all. Um, I, I, I actually, I do. Want, I one little thing to add. My, my favorite laugh out loud moment. My one of two laugh out loud moments in the in the thing um, is when the the kid uh, does an impression of his grandma or who he thinks is his grandma. Uh huh. He does the the impression. He goes, "Hey, who am I?" And he does that. Made me laugh out loud. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember what the other one. The other one was just a line that the kid said, and I don't remember what it was now. But, um, but it had it made me laugh. Uh, he had a nice he had a nice way that he uh, he. You never felt like you were out of the danger, but um, you yeah. had those moments of respite, which I think is again again that's it's just a real good M night. Thing. Like, I, well, I say that he's. I feel like he's better at that. Like that was better, because I feel like some of his other things. It was uh, some of his early stuff that I love. No, it's there. Sorry, yeah. he's he's there. Like he's good. He's yeah, he good he does that, that well. I think you're right. There was a that you did kind of feel both at ease and constantly in danger. And, and I, I will say, even with even with the like you said, segmenting the days. That's how I felt, because I would get the sense of. Okay, they're safe for the day, but then I also got this sense of there's still uh, more story wise, like <laughs> oh crap, we're getting close to the climax. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we survived another night. Well, thanks for tuning in for this episode of Sif Pop Spoilers, where we spoiled Everest and the visit. If you would like to hear the show proper, you can listen live on Fridays at noon central, or you can always just get Sif Pop. Subscribe. Subscribe. Right in the podcast feed. You have to have subscribed to hear this, so you've already <laughs> subscribed. Possibly not. <laughs>
could be listening to it on YouTube. Possibly. Oh yeah, we do the YouTube. Yeah, I do. Pop, I do pop it up on YouTube. So well done, Ooh. sir. Yeah. So if you want to do that, you would go to your podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you use, search and just for Sif search for Sif Pop, and then you can have it right there. Josh, as always, man, you're the Thank best. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you're my awesome. Pleasure. I have fun. Thank you, guys. There are those who say, leave well enough alone. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. You don't mess with success. While others have something quite different to say. The new Lexus RX, now with enhanced dynamic handling and available 12.3 inch touchscreen. It's the best-selling luxury crossover of all time. Reinvented. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.